It's Tuesday, October 3rd. Welcome to the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Hope you're doing well. We have an absolutely packed show for you today. Mortgage expert Ron Butler joins us at 4 p.m. as Canadians brace for higher payments as they get closer to their mortgage renewal. More and more, day by day, week by week, month by month, more people have to go in and renew their mortgages and, of course, higher payments that come with them. Ron and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, when that critical mass is going to hit. It's coming uh, very close. And, of course, forget Alberta called it's Calgary police want you more than ever. Even as police forces in BC desperately look to hire more officers, we look at why Cowtown's police force has launched a recruitment drive right here in BC. In fact, Calgary police uh, are in Vancouver today uh, as part of the recruitment drive. Would you move to Calgary for a well-paying job? We're going to talk to the Calgary police at 4.30 today. And should Vancouver ditch its view cones to increase housing? City Hall will be looking at that issue tomorrow. Vancouver's former chief planner, Brent Tadarian, joins us and he's, as he weighs in on that issue. That's at 5 o'clock. So lots to talk about there. But first, let's talk the fall legislative session in Victoria. Now, over the next two months, the provincial government will introduce housing legislation that aims to address persistent permitting and zoning challenges. They also want to focus on allowing secondary uh, and basement suites in every community in BC. They also want to strengthen the enforcement on short-term rentals like Airbnb. That's legislation that we're all waiting to hear more upon. And of course, they want to speed up municipal and provincial permitting to reduce costs, remove unnecessary delays and deliver more homes faster. They also want to bring in legislation that will uh, update international credentialing. So those are the kind of things that you can expect over the next couple of months. But today, the news of the day was the fact the fall session started with four official parties, as the B.C. Conservatives now have official party status. Their leader, John Rusted, uh, rose in the House and asked the following question of the government. Take a listen. Minority communities have been protesting against OG123, which was originally introduced by the BC United Liberals. Parents are concerned about the sexualization of their children in this NDP government's education system. Will the minister admit that OG123 has been divisive, an assault on parents' rights, and a distraction on student education? To, to come into this place, to use the authority of his office, to leverage all of that to make them feel less safe at school, it is not welcome. It is outrageous that he would stand here and do this. He sees political advantage in picking on kids and families and teachers and schools who are just trying to do their best for kids who are at risk of suicide, Honorable Chair. Shame on him. Choose another question. That was Premier David Eby uh, responding to John Rudz, Rustad, the leader of the BC Conservatives. All right, a very prickly issue uh, and, of course, a divisive issue. But that was question number one. Joining me now to talk about what transpired today and make sense of it all is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Keith, welcome. Hi, Jazz. Hi. Uh, first question, uh, the Premier obviously responded uh, as he was quite disgusted by that question as uh, Mr. Rusted focused on Soji. Walk me through what you saw at the legislature today. Yeah, so question period began with the BC United Party being the official opposition, having the first few questions, and they focused on housing. No new ground broken. Uh, it sounded like a question period that could have been back in 2016 when the NDP was in opposition asking questions of the then BC Liberal government on the unsolvable crisis of housing. Then Sonia Furston on the Greens asked about wildfires. And then Rustad stood up and asked the question you just, uh, so that was the first question. It was an anti Soji question. EB responded as he just played it, uh, very upset. And then uh, Rustad asked it again, and EB again tore a new strip off him. And that's where the thing has got very interesting. And you don't pick this up on Hanser Television, because when, when all heck breaks loose, as you know, mm-hmm. 
enhancer cameras just cut to the speaker's chair and you don't see what's going on. So I was sitting up right above the opposition members and Evie was launching into denouncing um, Rustad for this attack on Soji and getting quite animated. And suddenly I noticed that on the VC United side, two MLAs, notably Eleanor Sturko and Karen Kirkpatrick from West Van, both started pounding their tables in support and nodding their heads. That's when the NDP started to get sort of whipping themselves into support. And then something unusual happened. I've never seen, well, I can't remember the last time I saw an opposition stand up and give a standing ovation to a premier on a political issue. You can see that on, you know, very motherhood issues, commemoration days, that type of thing. But this was a political issue, red hot. And you had the BC United caucus and the Greens stand up with the NDP and applaud the uh, the government and applaud Premier Uri. It was led at the beginning by two BC United MLA, Sturkel and Kirkpatrick. What was also noticeable, as the standing ovation continued, three BC MLAs noticeably sat on their hands and refused to stand up. And that was Ben Stewart from the Okanagan, Tom Shapika from the Kootenays, and Ellis Ross from Skeena. I talked to Stewart later. He said, well, he still has some question, unanswered questions about Soji. He's not comfortable with that. But I thought, okay, we had talked before about the dynamics that we would see in the House. And the dynamic that was on display today was fascinating and almost unprecedented, where you had the opposition siding with the government in a very visible and loud display of support, yet some members of the of the opposition clearly did not share the same views. And it exposed, I think, what we're going to see over the next seven weeks, the occasional tension between the B.C. Conservatives and the B.C. United, as we speculated before, where there's some cross-pollination between these two sides as they fight over the same pool of voters. And issues like Soji and a few others could drive a wedge in between some of the members of the House on either side. So in this case, with Stewart, Shepitka, and Ross not getting up, uh, does that speak to, and, and, and the uh, the other MLAs like uh, Eleanor Sturko, Corinne Kirkpatrick, getting up and their other colleagues joining, so does this speak to uh, some rifts within the BC United Caucus as well? Well, I'm sure there's speculation. I, did, I have no knowledge of that. I mean, I did not talk to Shapika or Ellis about this. Um, just It was just noticeable. Given the din, what was happening in the House, everyone watching what everyone was doing, those three remained in their seats, as did the two Conservative members uh, remain in their seats, refusing to acknowledge that EB had a point. As you say, this is a very divisive issue, or it can be. It's uh, being exploited, I think, by Rustad. A lot of people are criticizing him quite strongly, saying this is ridiculous, very cynical. Uh, to not only attack Soji, but to somehow equate it with a residential school uh, uh, disaster. Uh, so he's been criticized, but he's not shying away from this. So what's interesting, post-question period, mm-hmm. uh, all the opposition parties are constantly looking to say, well, pick me for the scrum. Well, the person who was scrummed by the media, it was a very large scrum, was John Rustad. Uh, question period is about getting attention. Well, Rustad's chief goal right now as the leader of this fledgling party is to get attention. He got attention today. You could argue for all the wrong reasons, but I think he's going to argue back, no, I got attention. I'm raising an issue. Probably that's speaking more effectively up-country, considering those three MLAs who did not stand up to give an ovation all represent interior or northern ridings. Um, I think this is a calculated, some can call it cynical ploy by Rustad, but it's one that seemed to at least get him the lion's share of the attention today. 
and just sort of magnify the that not everyone in the BC United Caucus is on the same page on this. Keith, you know, when I was in, in, in that, when it was referred to as the BC Liberal Caucus, Rustad was rarely used because, quite frankly, he wasn't very good at question period, which requires a cut and thrust, the ability to think on your feet, not, not his strength. But I, one could argue, uh, judging by the attention he got today, and perhaps he'll get the same attention, I don't know, but his job isn't really to build a party that's going to win many, many seats. It almost seems like he just wants to speak to his core voter, which would impact, would take enough votes from the BC United next election. This isn't about winning any election or getting 15, 20 MLAs elected, is it? Well, I think it's, yeah, he told me he thinks they can be, this is some time ago before this bounce in the polls. He thought hmm. they could be competitive to win in 15 ridings. Looking at the polls now, I'd say that number might be a little north of that. But in terms of forming a government, yeah, I mean, you could take a look at the, the voting results the last few elections. The B.C. Conservatives have not been a factor in B.C. politics for, you have to go back to the 30s, 40s. I mean, this is not a party that's a force. But it can play a role in splitting the vote or taking enough votes in some, some certain areas to allow a party that's diametrically the opposite in terms of ideology to win, which in this case would be the NDP. I think Rustad's hell-bent on basically exacting some revenge on the BC United Party for kicking him out. And he's launched onto what appears to be a very convenient vehicle, the BC Conservatives. And now that he's got another disaffected BC United member, Bruce Banman, to join him, um, and then you've got those three MLAs just not wanting to participate with their caucus colleagues in, in thanking or supporting Soji. Uh, something's going on in that house that we haven't seen for some time. And I'm not sure exactly what Rustad's end game is. You know, we take a dry, dispassionate look at voting results and think you haven't got a hope of forming government. But they could certainly play a key role in the next election in terms of determining the size of an NDP government because uh, they can, you know, we look at where conservatives are strong federally. That's pretty well everywhere outside of Metro Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And they could be very competitive with the BC United Party there to the point of either winning the seat or denying the victory to the BC United. So this is a fascinating situation we have unfolding in the BC legislature, of which we haven't seen in decades. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, we are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. We were talking about uh, the fall legislative session began today. Fireworks, actually, as uh, John Rustad, the BC Conservative leader, arose in the House and asked a question on Soji. And, of course, Premier David Eby certainly didn't appreciate that question. Now, Keith, uh, obviously you talked about the rift between um, the BC United and the Conservatives. Uh, has there been any talk of anybody else joining uh, Mr. Rustad uh, after Mr. Bandman already um, uh, joined? Well, there's going to be speculation. There always is. Once one person defects, will there be others? But nothing, no evidence, you know, no uh I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't rule it in. I mean, it's a it's a pretty big decision for an MLA to leave a caucus. Um, but it has happened. I've seen a lot of floor crossers my time over here. Uh, we've had some very famous instances. W.A.C. Bennett, for example, crossed from the Conservatives, joined the Social Credit Party, and created a political dynasty. Uh, Winston Churchill was a famous floor crosser. We had the most, in B.C. political history, the most famous was in the 1970s when Bill Bennett convinced a progressive conservative MLA, um, Hugh Curtis, who represented Sandwich over here, and several then BC Liberal MLAs, Pat McGeer, Alan Williams, Gardy Gardam, uh, to cross over to the Social Credit Party and put together the reestablish what was called the Free Enterprise Coalition that fell apart in WAC Bennett's last uh, year. Uh, Bennett put it together. Uh, it fell apart again in '91. 
which led to the emergence of the BC Liberal Party. Uh, but now one can question, are we seeing this again? Are we seeing the, the disintegration of the Free Enterprise Coalition? And what can it be rebuilt? Can it be rebuilt under the current situation, or does it even another party emerge out of this? But I'll tell you, when these two parties are each, uh, potentially at each other's throats, and I invite, if you want to see some, some anger, go on Twitter and look at the Twitter exchange between Eleanor Sturko and Bruce Banman, the MLA who left the BC United Caucus to sit with the Conservatives. I mean, he, Banman mocking Sturko last night, saying, your party's done, Eleanor. And like, whoa, okay, you guys want to <laughs> it's fight personal. like that? It is so it's personal. personal, and it's in public. And it's um, having seen caucus meltdowns before and internecine fighting, I'm loath to predict what's going to happen next. I mean, Falcon had an event here today with most of his caucus in attendance talking about how they recruited the mayor of, of Houston to run against uh, John Rustad in the next election. So that they consider that person to be a star candidate. And certainly if you're elected mayor of a town like that, you've got to be considered any mayor would be a star candidate. But I think it's, uh, again, they seem to be reacting to Rustad. So they trotted out a candidate that they are now appointed to run against Rustad. They're responding to Rustad and his, his party on, on social media. Um, and it's just going to be interesting what this session brings. So we sort of go into a bit of a slowdown now. Today was, you know, sort of a test drive. Tomorrow, there's the funeral for the slain RCMP officer O'Brien. That's going to take the, t- the temperature down at this place because many of the people here will be in attendance at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Thursday is sort of a low-key day with regional focus, not a big day. And then they take a week off for the Thanksgiving break. So it doesn't really get going until another week and a half. And we'll see what that brings. Um, but I'll tell you, it's, it's a lively, a li- it was a lively QP today with some machinations and some dynamics we haven't seen for quite a long time. I got 30 seconds here, Keith. Uh, still expecting a fall 2024 election, or do you think the NDP could potentially pull, pull, pull the trigger early? Oh, I think there's always the possibility that the spring is a window for them to go. But I think EB, I still get the impression these guys like being in government. They don't they don't want to give up six months needlessly if they don't have to. Uh, so I still think the fall of 2024. And, you know, if your two if your two enemies are at each other's throats, let them go at it for a while. Exactly. Step back and and just watch. Keith, thank you. All right. Take care.